0: recording in progress all right hello everyone and welcome to the shelf care interview an occasional conversation series where booklist talks to book people this shelf care interview is sponsored by holiday house i am ronnie curry senior editor books for youth and today i will be talking to kate glasheen Kate was born and raised in Troy, New York, and lived there until their departure for Pratt Institute Go Canoneers, for a BFA in fine art. Kate has since been a creator, artist, and contributor for several critically acclaimed books, has participated in exhibitions and collections across the globe, and has worked on several of the biggest properties in entertainment. Their artistic interests find communion in fine and sequential art under the notion that there's something hilarious about something that's not funny at all. The graphic novel Constellations, which we'll be discussing today, is their author-artist debut. Kate lives, draws, and tattoos out of Philadelphia under the stringent supervision of Kipper the Cat. And thank you for joining me today, Kate.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Ronnie. I'm super pumped to be here and quick shout out to Taylor for the behind the scenes.
0: Absolutely. Um, and I'm just going to say, I went to Pratt. I forgot to mention that before. Oh, no uh, way. I don't know if people actually know that they're the Canoneers, but I'm pretty sure they are.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not something people lean into about, about that <laughs> education, but but it is true.
0: I was a Pratt athlete. If uh, you can Oh, what sport? <laughs> Tennis? We have a we had slash might still have a tennis team.
1: Oh, Ronnie, I'm so sorry. I didn't know we had a tennis team. <laughs> no,
0: but nobody did. <laughs> uh, nobody ever will, because I'm cutting this part. <laughs> 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 All right. So, uh, to kick things off, um, if you don't mind, for those who are unfamiliar, can you just give us an intro to constellations?
1: Sure. A quick summary is it's 1986 and Claire Dunro has always felt more like a boy than the girl they were born as. But in the depressed upstate city of Troy, New York, that's always been a problem. So as raided liquor cabinets and keg parties serve as rites of passage for some, Claire instead finds alcohol to be exactly the salve they need to medicate the gap between who they are and who they feel they are. A drunken bicycle crash lands Claire in court-ordered rehab amongst a crew of fellow misfits also in dire need of help. It's there that they meet Charlie, the kind but seasoned caseworker who leads the teens in a different kind of classroom where lessons of math and English matter much less than those of survival.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much. And so uh, you mentioned uh, the setting, um, 1980s in Troy, New York, um, which, so I mean, I, I found it really interesting to read a book about exploring gender identity in what is what we now call historical fiction um
1: (laughs) which is alarming and terrible yeah i'm sorry
0: sorry to say um (laughs) but it's it was interesting to kind of read the the quote-unquote historical perspective on that um compared to contemporary books but uh i just wanted to ask what um what you wanted to accomplish with with that choice of setting what were you shooting for there
1: so i mean the biggest component uh for setting choice is that Claire's story is very similar to my own. Uh, they have a lot of overlap. Uh, I'm a trans person who grew up in Troy in the 1980s, and I went to rehab as a teen for substance abuse. And, you know, the two are very closely related. Uh, so, this experience, my experience and Claire's experience um, work in that that was what I could draw the most authentic lived material uh, for inspiration and material for the book from, uh, I think there, this wasn't, that was the biggest piece. And then the rest kind of uh, were nice to find as I was working on the story that, um, you know, I think the setting turned out to be a kind of an important piece of of trans history and that uh, it's it's a, it's a story about that experience and what it looked like before there was even a vocabulary in the mainstream to define it or even talk about it. And uh, you know, it's pre-internet. And one thing that sets uh, the youth experience apart today from, from what I experienced was that lack of opportunity for knowledge and connection or so readily available. Uh, You know, if you were trans back then, for the most part, you were an island, you were on your own, both to survive and to figure out why your existence was at such odds with society. Uh, You know, if it was a contemporary story, I think. uh, Like a a trans kid in even the most bigoted backwards town uh, has an opening to educate themselves and find support and community in that way. And so would kids with uh, substance abuse problems, you know, there are online support groups. And, um, you know, and not saying kids have it easy today by any means, but they do have access to that one very crucial lifeline that was not available in the 80s.
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I think the setting, like you said, did add, add a lot to it and kind of elevated the tension in a way, just reading it from present day and, 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 and making those comparisons. Um, it's kind of on in a similar vein uh because because the the topics of addiction and identity are are hugely important for everybody like adults teens kids um and so I wanted to ask why um you wanted to write this from a teenage uh perspective and and kind of what you hope um those teenage readers uh, might take away from it so I feel like uh
1: I mean, it was kind of instinctual to write the story from, from for that age group and about that age group, um, but I think the reasoning behind it as as the story moved on became kind of clear that, you know, people's teen years are, are, for the most part, when they get their first exposure to drinking and drugging, and, you know, it's crucially also the time when kids can kind of start to procure that for themselves. Uh, so I think it's the best, you know, it's the most potent time to kind of intercept potential problems that could grow bigger as these relationships are kind of starting, uh, you know, b- to try and catch things before they become this majority routine in, in someone's life. Uh, it's also, you know, for, for the trans component, uh, puberty is the point in time when gender discrepancy becomes absolutely unignorable, uh, which is not a word, but I'm gonna stick with it for <laughs> for this case. Um, uh, you know, it's just bodies shift into their fully into their more fully into their biological sex and it becomes uh as you leave childhood, it becomes something that, you know, you could once like get away with not thinking about for clips at a time. And then once puberty hits, it's not that's not a luxury you have anymore. Um so I think kind of the general explanation that is that it was important to me to tell the story as a teenage experience because teen years are, are often when like land, when these landmines planted throughout childhood start to detonate and it's a really important time for figuring out laying groundwork for her, for how people figure out their relationships to all these things. Um, and I guess, uh, the, the last question about what I hope readers take away is that uh, the biggest hope is that uh, kids in need of help for any of the issues portrayed in the book or just issues where the advice could be applicable. Um, you know, I hope this is, could be a bit of a mirror to help them suss out their own situations and uh, if it could be at all kind of an ersatz support group to go for these kids you know, buy, buy them some time until they can find real life support, or if just a little bit is needed, if that's, if what's in the book is enough, that would be, you know, those are my big hopes. And I know that's, that's a tall one. So, so I don't assume I'm completely successful there, but I hope I am at least partially successful.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a good hope. And and I would say very successful. And, and I would say not just for teenagers. I'm, I'm an adult, uh, <laughs> presumably. And, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, so much of this hit home for me, and there was so much that I had never kind of been told before, I guess. Um, if you well, haven't been through some of those experiences, you know, so. Um, yeah, yeah that's really, really awesome uh, to hear. Can I, uh, so, so, but given the audience again, um, the, and this is a book with a lot of um, hard truths, a lot of brutal honesty, a lot of big feelings of highs and lows, um, was there anything that you felt like you had to kind of hold back or or was there a line drawn somewhere um, given the youth audience that um, you, or like how did you navigate kind of telling such an intense story um, to a young audience?
1: So that is actually, that's a good question to piggyback what you were just talking about because, so I was in in rehab twice in my life. I was in rehab as a teen and once again uh, in my early thirties and a lot of, you know, the material that I pulled from to make this book was kind of equal for both experiences. Um, obviously like I focused on the teen years, but there was a lot of lessons I pulled from my, uh, adult stay. And, um, I think, you know, especially because of that, uh, you know, it's going to be like all these subject, ma- all this material is brutal anyways, but then, you know, if you introduce the the adult component, like it gets, def- gets extra dicey about what can and can't be shared um, for a young adult book.
0: Mm. And,
1: um, you know, but I think, uh, you know, while the trans component is more niche and what ultimately... Is the core of what lands Claire in rehab. Claire's friends are there because of physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect. Uh, you know everything that sets a kid up perfectly wrong in life. And these, you know, this book's fiction, but these are realities for a lot of kids. I saw it firsthand in myself and my friends, uh, in the kids I was in rehab with. You know, this is those are not uncommon experiences. And young readers deserve honesty about that because. They're living variations of it and, and permutations of of the things this book talks about. You know, either directly or in proximity of, um, you know, albeit in a in a different era. But it's definitely kind of a tightrope to walk uh, creatively between like sharing all of the details of the experience to try and keep it real and believable and authentic to the experiences people may be having, but not presenting such an offensive experience that it ultimately gets kept out of kids' hands. Um, So, you know, parameters can be restrictive. And I think at first it did kind of feel that way, but, you know, as I kept working, it kind of became reframed as parameters become, you know, it's asking the author to work smarter. And um, as drafts continued along, I just had to put more thought into the nuance with how I was portraying some of the heavier stuff. Uh, you know, enough of the nitty-gritty to keep it personal, but kind of uh, a more sensitive lens guiding it to keep it from becoming gratuitous or voyeuristic, or keeping it, you know, off library shelves or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I hope I was successful with that. But I definitely, you know, shout out to my MVP editor. Stella Pharrell here because she was invaluable in helping me kind of find find as as good a, a balance as i as I could have.
0: Yeah, I think I think you walked the line beautifully. It's you know obviously as we've said really brutal at times and and but it's really honest and it respects the reader in in a really important way. Um, and I don't think it, I don't think it ever kind of crosses any 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 lines that shouldn't be crossed. Um, but that's a good segue into kind of talking about process. Um, and I kind of want to get more into the art side of things. Um, because and it's 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 just it's interesting that you're both artist and author, and that you know, since you're drawing on some personal experience, um, you already had kind of some of the content in the air. So, like how how did it work for you as like putting this project together? Was do you kind of start because um, it seems like your background is more heavily in visual arts. So do you start kind of um, doodling or or do you have like a, a story on the boarded already? Or what's your process look like?
1: So usually I work kind of simultaneously ping-ponging back and forth between writing and drawing uh, because I find they both kind of egg each other on. And, you know, if I was it, it, focusing just on drawing or just on writing, uh, I you know i'll hit i'll hit roadblocks and i'll really my progress will kind of stall out at times but i find if i'm just kind of like jumping back and forth uh it's this really awesome kinetic uh harmonization and it's like when that is happening and it's going well like that is my favorite part of making comics um it's just like it's this really kind of organic thing and um yeah I, I, it's just it's just really something I love. But that being said, um, things were different for constellations because as you mentioned, the personal nature of the book, uh, sensitive subject matter, and also the gravity of working with holiday house, because they were my biggest publisher yet that I, that I would be working with. So I I got super nervous and super self-conscious about basically every step of the way. Um, so my process ended up becoming much more reserved for this, uh, worked I worked very much in stages. I, I finished the script or at least the you know the first draft, first few drafts of the script and then I moved to thumbnails to pencils, to inks to watercolors. Um, you know each it's not to say each stage was was devoid of uh, revisions or anything because it was definitely like I will never work on a new draft of something without finding ways to improve it. Um, so that would happen, but it was a much more regimented process than, than how I usually work.
0: Yeah. And uh, just a massive undertaking, really. I don't know that. I'm sure I don't understand it fully, but like putting together a whole graphic novel by yourself is just an enormous amount of work.
1: Ronnie, every time I start on a new comic, I wonder what's wrong with me because (laughs) (laughs) it's so punishing. Like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, like scoot my own horn, as they say, but um, I just, I besides animation, I just can't think of uh, a medium that has more like pound for pound labor involved as far as for making a full graphic novel.
0: Yeah, you're doing, if you're doing the colors and everything, that's, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't even know, <laughs> but I have a, a glimpse of an idea <laughs> and it scares yeah. me.
1: Oh, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I, every time I I come out the other side of a book, I am a changed person and not always for the better.
0: Well, don't stop. Take a break. Don't stop. (laughs) It's worth it. (laughs) Good. Um, uh, oh, we're running out of time. I want to get a couple more in though. Um, obviously, you're an artist in various ways. Um, but the, there's so much killer prose in here, uh, that, uh i just assume you have a background in poetry or something and i just wanted to ask what your what your writing influences are
1: oh it's so awesome to hear because I've, I've written as long as i've drawn but this not professionally you know so i have so many more uh professional miles as an illustrator than i do writing but it's i love the the craft just as much as as drawing so that really really is so awesome to hear um I guess a few of the most formative books for for my prose work, and this answer can change by the day, I guess, but um, definitely Cormac McCarthy's The Road, uh, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, and William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. And uh, this kind of trinity for me is just there are these junction points directly in the middle of utility in poetry uh the stories are you know told masterfully menacingly functional uh but there was such art in the voices given to the characters in the narration of of the worlds the the authors were creating and i just think these books describe horrible things beautifully and i just that's something i just admire so so much and really aspire to do
0: yeah that's perfect uh I mean, you're working with such liter- little uh, space for text that that's why poetry came to mind, because you just have to do so much with with such a limited word count. And I, and I, I mean, you crushed it like, you know, every now and then you meet those folks who don't think that comics uh, are literary and that this is going to be one of those books that I share with them um, to prove them wrong
1: oh wow this is really i'm feeling good at by the end of this uh (laughs) you should (laughs) that's (laughs) awesome though thank you so much for saying that
0: Uh, uh, truly and i'm not just saying it um okay i like to squeeze this in when i can what is one web comic from someone else that you think that librarians should be aware of
1: Okay, so this is not... I think when you had mentioned you might ask about this, it was it was framed as under the radar. And, and this is not under the radar even a little bit. Like, I'm pretty sure it's won awards and stuff like that. But since I am now 1,000 years old, uh, this web webcomic is at least 500 years old. So I feel like there's a whole fleet of young folks who probably haven't been exposed to it yet. So um, it is called Teddy by Ethan Persoff. And uh, this is like from the early days of, of web comics on the internet. And it may even have been like used Flash or maybe it was before Flash. Um, but this comic was like such an epiphany for me because um, I mean, I just read it exactly when I needed to. I was kind of being pulled in two different directions between fine art and comics. And this is back when there was more strict divisions between these fields, you know, like this was before like comics were taken seriously in the mainstream. In America, anyways, I know the rest of the world was was better about that, but uh, so Teddy was one of a handful of projects that just really hit home that I didn't need to choose and I could do both on the same page.
0: Awesome, thank you. Yeah. Um, and are there any other projects uh, for yourself, past or present, that you'd like to promote before we wrap up here?
1: Oh yes, please. Um, so, off the top, uh, my social media handles are for Instagram. Katie Crime Spree, all one word, and that's for comics, illustration, gallery stuff. And uh I am out finally out the other side of my tattoo apprenticeship. And if you want to keep up with what kind of stuff I do there, that's Katie underscore glash underscore tattoo. And I can send you these links after so you have them in text. Um and then I also, I have a teen mystery comic over on Webtoon called varsity noir Story's concluded. It's several years old, but I would love to get more eyes on that. If should set eyes be interested. Um, my previous graphic novel radical shift to gravity with my good bud, Nick Tapolansky on top shelf was optioned this year by hidden pictures for a feature film. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed for developments there and encourage everyone to cross their fingers with me. Uh, and then Lastly, comics, Um, I have been talking to Holiday House about my next YA graphic novel. For now, uh, Broadstrokes, it's a sardonic science fantasy, and it's definitely way, 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 way too early to speak about anything in detail there. But, um, you know, working with them was such a pleasure, and they handled constellations with such precision gloves that I would really love to stick with them if
0: if they want to stick with me. So, yeah, that's it for me. Awesome. Yeah. It seems like a good match. Did you, did you say sardonic science fantasy? I did. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, for that.
1: Yes. I'm seriously like I'm so, this has been so fun working on brainstorming for this book in a way, like I haven't felt in a long time. So I'm, I'm excited for it.
0: Amazing. Okay. Well, that is our time. Thank you so much, Kate, for your time and for the book and just, you know, sharing yourself with us. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's an awesome piece of work.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Really, uh, definitely a, an extreme pleasure hanging with you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Taylor, for your behind the scenes work. And um, I hope to, hope to talk to you guys again sometime.
0: I hope so as well. And thank you everyone else for listening to the Shelf Care Interview. Again, this Shelf Care Interview was sponsored by Holiday House, the publisher of Constellations, which is available now. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. And that's it.